Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, increase your revenue today by listing your digital billboard on Adomni. Today's guest is Pat O'Donnell. Pat is president of Yesco Outdoor Media, an out-of-home advertising company with 2,250 out-of-home faces across eight western states. Pat also sits on the board of directors of the OAAA and Geopath and the Foundation for Outdoor Advertising Research and Education. Last year, Pat was inducted into the OAAA Hall of Fame. Welcome to the show, Pat. Hi, Dave. Great to have you on the show. Pat, how did you get into the out-of-home advertising business? Well, Dave, my father and my uncle had a sign business in Lake Tahoe during the 50s and the 60s. They did primarily on-premise signs, but they also owned a few billboards between Lake Tahoe and Sacramento that advertised for the casinos. About 40-some years ago, uh, I got out of the Marine Corps. I kicked around a bit looking for work and eventually found a job selling outdoor for Don Ray Outdoor in Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So that's how it started. And you have spent 35 years at Yesco. That's remarkable in an age of free agents. What has accounted for your longevity? In a word, it would be values. The Young family has given me the opportunity to direct and grow their media business over the years. It's truly been a labor of love for me. And it's because I'm blessed to work for people who actually look for the best in others and care deeply and honestly about not only their employers, but their customers. Mm -hmm. What are some aspects of the culture? You mentioned they care about customers, they care about employees. What are some other aspects of the young culture? Well, with any family business, I think that there's some continuity that they've been able to keep through their hundred years in doing business. And again, I think it all has to do with the way they treat people. And in their case, they not only walk the walk, they talk the talk. And and, and that's what it comes down to. Terrific. Yesco has done several tuck-in acquisitions over the last few years. I can think Elevation, Roadside, Cowboy Media. Pat, what are you looking for in acquisitions? Well, really, there's three main components I look at when when we look at these type of acquisitions. First being, is it complementary geographically for us? The second thing is, can we absorb it without having to add significant infrastructure or overhead? That's really important, as it would be for, for any company doing it. And third, can we buy it at a multiple where there's room to increase revenue and build value in the inventory. Mm -hmm. And you've mentioned, you put to me in one of our interviews, you mentioned that you really blanket approaches to national parks. Is that that a a fair statement of your footprint? Yeah, we certainly do. Uh, We we have inventory from up at Glacier in northern Montana, clear down to inventory uh, heading into the Grand Canyon. So, if you look at the, the footprint of the Rocky Mountains and the, the national parks throughout Utah, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, we serve those very well. Fair to say there's some Yesco boards, and, and I guess that means you've got expertise in building relationships with small businesses to and fro that, that are along the approaches to the parks. 
Absolutely. We're we're much more of a rural company than we are an urban company, hmm. even though we have a, a large presence in Salt Lake City and Boise and some other urban areas. The way our company has come together through the years was building rural locations to serve, in many cases, our on-premise sign clients. Mm-hmm. and before we split the companies apart. So there was a definite method to our the, the way the plant was constructed. Now, that's an interesting thing, the on-premise business. Are there synergies between an out-of-home company that also is has an on-premise sign business and, and running an out-of-home business? There are some synergies. At one time, we had the companies combined back in... 2005, we started separating, made the first move towards separating the companies. These days, uh, we're finding that many more of the buyers of both on-premise and off-premise advertising are not the same buyer. Mm-hmm. And so we have to service two different buyers, and that's eventually why we split the companies. But certainly, they're with our local businesses and, and and you talk about tourism, mm-hmm. often the motel or the restaurant that is outside of, let's say, a, a, a national park and is buying both their on-premise sign and their off-premise signage for, from us. Okay. And I've wondered also if, so you go out and you put up an on-premise sign and you get to talking to a business owner and he says, you know, I have this other property over here. Can uh, can we put a billboard up? Could you put a billboard on my land? If does oh, the on-premise business facilitate good billboard leases? It certainly has through the years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you were to go back 30, 40 years, you would find that that's really sort of the model that we built the business on. Yes. When you do a small tucking acquisition, walk us through the stages of once you've made the acquisition, how you integrate that company into your business. What are the steps that and, and some of the keys to smoothly integrating an out-of-home acquisition? Well, I looked the other day and I know that we've done 63 separate acquisitions over the years. That's remarkable. from. <laughs> <laughs> one, one face to hundreds of faces, wow. and we we approach it the same way for a large or a small transaction. Each department, our sales department, our real estate department, operations and administration, each has a checklist associated with each new piece of inventory, which it's not in the system until all of those things happen. And then additionally, we seek to, to make an, an immediate connection personally with both the, the landowners and customers. Mm-hmm. That's got to be critical. What is maybe the most common thing when you take over something? What is the most common thing when you take over a plant that you have to change if it's either uh, aspect of the physical aspect of the boards or uh, something else about how uh, a plant is run? Well, I think the physical aspect is very important. Uh, Branding is important to us. We take great pride in our inventory and that we want it to be the best possible looking inventory. It's the idea that each structure is an easel for our customers' artwork, and that easel needs to be well-maintained, well-let, to be branded correctly and so that's really important. Obviously, uh, you know, the other thing is is the personal connection. We want to get to know our landowners and our customers and and 
we're looking for a long-term relationship. Important. Yesco last I checked had something in excess of 46 digital billboards, probably more than that now, and is using Blip to sell digital space. Talk about Yesco's partnership with Blip. First, for, for disclosure purposes, Dave, we are a very minor stockholder in Blip. Mm-hmm. Brent Thompson and James Munnerland came to me a few years ago with this crazy idea that people would be willing to buy digital outdoor one turn at a time (laughs) and it would suddenly be affordable for 98 percent of the businesses who currently couldn't use our our medium due to the the industry's pricing model anyway long story short i i drank the kool-aid and agreed to incubate them the result of that is that blip is now our single largest source of revenue on our digital bulletins and it's all local business and it has accounted for over 2000 new customers who had never been in the out of home space before. That's remarkable. I, I think your early results were that Blip was, I remember seeing some stuff that Blip added 10 to 16% to revenues at boards. Has this, is, is that a reasonable uh, approximation of what it's done for you? Yeah. In fact, it might be actually a little better than that. So it's it's been everything we thought it would be plus. Everyone always asks, does it cannibalize regular sales? Absolutely not. We had great pushback initially from both my sales manager and our sales staff about bringing Blip on. And, and now you would find that they all have been able to recognize that it's a it's not cannibalizing their customers in fact what it is doing for them is actually saving them a lot of time and effort that they spend with customers who are not really qualified to buy under the the traditional model and we can send them to blip is there a rule of thumb in other words how do you decide what your salesforce will handle and what blip will handle if someone happens to call you and says you know i just want one flip for one hour do you just say go to blip how do you decide what you handle and what you send on absolutely all of our salespeople have the ability to set up a blip account with hmm. for call-ins or with uh, people who may want to buy on that and we've got an arrangement that they're compensated for that okay let's take a break here for a word from our sponsor Adomni easily connects with Dectronics, Formedco, PrismView, or Watchfire billboards and enables advertisers and agencies to quickly find and buy your unsold billboard space. With Audience IQ technology, advertisers can target consumer profiles such as demographics, behavior, and interests that travel past your billboards. Join the fastest-growing out-of-home network with over 100,000 digital screens. Visit adomni.com or email sales at adomni.com to learn more. Mention this Billboard Insider podcast to receive one free year of Adomni's white-labeled booking engine on your website. Pat, what's Yesco's view of the other automated sales platforms, Adomni or Vistar or AdQuick? Well, Dave, there's a lot of chatter about the, the programmatic companies that are emerging, and I'm sure that they'll all become more relevant. Our industry, though, lacks both the will, I believe, and the cooperation needed to put a core open access platform in place that, mm-hmm. to allow both the, the buyers and sellers equal opportunity and, 
in what could be, I believe, a really robust marketplace. Uh, unfortunately, everybody is trying to monetize their own model at this point in time. And, you know, until we get to that, as I say, that center core access, we're going to just get dribs and drabs. Mm -hmm. And I mean that for the independents. If you're using walled gardens, it makes it much harder for a buyer to try and do a nationwide deal. If it has to go to 10 or 50 different players instead of just, you you know, one interchange. Absolutely. And I think as an industry, we'll all benefit if there's an equal access marketplace. Mm -hmm. Pat, what are your top three priorities for Yesco for the next 12 months? In giving some thought to that, I look back and... We've averaged nearly 6% revenue growth per year over the last 30 years here at Yesco. I'd really like to see that that continues slow and steady. We're, again, a family company, and we're never going to have the kind of growth and the kind of nor the volatility that the larger companies have. But I'd like to see that trend line continue up. Number two is that, and this goes to what we were talking about before, I'd certainly like to see more cooperation between companies in the industry on measurement and eventually get accreditation. I think there needs to be more support for Geopath. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that I, I'd love to see this an open a- access marketplace so that independent companies and our inventory is available to to buyers side by side with the public company's inventory. And and last, I think Yesco is coming in March. We'll celebrate its hundredth anniversary, and we're excited about that. And. As that comes to take place, we also need to, and I I need to, start mentoring our next generation of leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about 6% growth. Pat, that's, that's two times GDP. That's a pretty remarkable record. Well, again, we're talking about relatively small numbers when we started. So, mm-hmm. again, the model is conservative, but it's headed north. You are on the OAAA's legislative committee. What legislative issues should an out-of-home company be monitoring right now? Well, certainly the the Thomas case that just came out of the appeals court is really important. And and talk about why that is. Well, anything that could dismantle the HBA Mm -hmm. should be everyone's concern. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what it would be like if suddenly we found ourselves in a in a situation where in every state in the country, we had to get new law Mm -hmm. and it would be chaos. I think you may remember, Dave, a number of years ago when we had the debacle in Oregon. Yes. And I don't think that that benefits anybody Mm -hmm. other than those that would seek to to ruin us, really. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, I think, everyone's main concern at this point. But also, I think we all need to be concerned about government's insatiable appetite for more money, Mm -hmm. for their inability to curb spending, and the, the fact that it always seems to, in the end result, seems to be them looking for ways to get more money out of our industry, particularly through taxation at this point. And we've seen that not only in Cincinnati and Baltimore, but in in some smaller communities as well. We've seen it up in Ada County in Idaho, where arbitrary changes in terms of valuation of outdoor assets and taxation 
increases have taken place. And, and for the independents, as well as the public companies, this is, it, it can be very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. I can think of a case, isn't it back in Pennsylvania, somewhere where the school district or somebody back there is va- says, we have to take billboard lease income into account when we value real estate. And suddenly is <laughs> putting these huge increases on landlords, and they're not able to increase their billboard rent but it's putting these huge tax increases on landlords. That's a very worrisome thing. Yeah, and it it is, and and it it just speaks to the need why we need to work together through our organizations. Mm -hmm. As we, we both know, Dave, the best way we can head these things off is when we have local participation Mm -hmm. where we know personally the regulators and the legislators, and that's where the, the best work gets done to head off this stuff mm-hmm. rather than at the national level. Mm-hmm. Is privacy a concern for you? You know, I, I've been monitoring it. I, I see the new California guidelines are out, and they are pretty severe, the California privacy guidelines. And I have heard that the guy that is behind all that privacy push has a new initiative out that is even more draconian. Hopefully it will not pass, but he's trying to get it on the ballot right now that is even more draconian than the existing privacy rules out in California. Well, I, I think it is uh, concerning to us, primarily because of the way that we're accumulating data now for, for measurement. And as I mentioned before, I, I'm convinced that one of the things we have to do in in our industry is get to that point where we have a common currency and hopefully mm-hmm. accreditation in a, in a way that puts us on the, the front page with other media. But having said that, I think we all worry about what government may do next in terms of restricting our access to to data, even though the, the data that we have is very anonymized it you just never know what's coming down the pike and and that's one of the one of the things that we again look to the OAAA to stay on top of to just and to help us as operators navigate those waters mhm i agree yesco has been very supportive of refugees by giving them jobs. Can you talk a little bit about what Yesco's done to help refugees negotiate when they when they make a journey to the to the United States? Well, you know, at Yesco our recruiting efforts are always focused on adding employees who are willing to give what we call the gift of employment. Hmm. We we want people who are looking for a career where they become part of our family and hopefully for a lifetime. Often, individuals who come from the most impoverished backgrounds will be those people who seek that kind of opportunity. Hmm. Hmm. Even, even though I've been with the company 35 years, there are probably two dozen or more individuals who have more time with the company than I do. Wow. That's remarkable. So I just, again, I think it's, it has a lot to do with the ethos of the company and the values that the young family have. And as I mentioned before, it's been a blessing to work for them. Mm -hmm. Terrific. You are on the board for the Foundation for Outdoor Advertising Research and Education. It's probably a little known entity that is uh, does an incredible amount. Talk a little bit about what Ford does. Ford does several things. One is we provide scholarships to 
young people who we hope will have the opportunity perhaps to work in our industry, but typically the scholarships we give are to people who come from our industry. In other words, the, the, the children, the relatives of people who work in this industry. And we have various scholarships. Nancy Fletcher has a scholarship. We have a scholarship that the Reagan family has, has created for planners. We have a, a scholarship for our former main lobbyist, Vern Clark. And, and all of these scholarships help some person who probably is a family member of, of somebody in the outdoor industry further their education. And what a great thing that we, we can do that for people from the industry. Just this last year, we actually had three individuals who are part of the ESCO family win scholarships for next year's college mm -hmm. term. Wow. So, as you said, it's been hard to to get the word out. We've, mm -hmm. we've tried very hard. But mm -hmm. the other thing that FOR does is we do studies to help the industry. We've done a number of digital studies. We've, we're always looking for opportunities to help both on the, let's say that, you know, we have a, a community that makes an outlandish, if you will, uh, uh, assumption about, for instance, the the danger of digital advertising, and we're we're able to. We've done the studies that have shown that digital is not dangerous to traffic, mm -hmm. and that in, in many cases where digital is, there's less mm -hmm. accidents. And so those kinds of things go a long way towards sort of helping. On, on again a local level, independent companies and and everybody in the business in educating the lay people about our business. Mm -hmm. I can remember talking with Stephen Friedis. He said that you guys just sent out some amazing number of outdoor advertising decks to a bunch of educators who were in marketing and business administration talking about, for instance, the efficacy of out-of-home advertising. So in order to disabuse people that might be working under outmoded assumptions that out-of-home has no place in the modern world. Well, absolutely. I think if you talk to any college graduate who's been through a marketing program in recent years, almost all of them come out and say outdoor advertising was simply dismissed Yes, in yes. terms of being an important medium. And mm -hmm. that's one of our goals is to change that. Terrific. Thanks. That's all for this week. Thanks for appearing on the show, Pat. Dave, thank you. This podcast was edited by Lucas Jones and sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, increase your revenue today by listing your digital billboard on Adomni. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider Podcast by visiting BillboardInsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider Podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is BillboardInsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple weeks.